Welcome to another podcast from Fire Church Ministries. We hope you enjoy this message with our special guest from Compassion Australia, James Thompson. Okay, well thank you, <coughs> excuse me, thank you uh, for having me this morning. Um, I, f- I feel totally uh, blessed and honoured just to be here. And uh, I absolutely love what you guys are doing um, at the moment. I've, I've been here a couple of times. I think I came when, um, when the Banovs were here. And he had his violin out. And I think he had like a didgeridoo going. And the worship was hot and sweaty. Love it. Absolutely loved it. And then I think it came another time when, when Ben was here, when Ben was speaking. And um, anyway, love what you guys are doing. And I feel totally honoured uh, just to be here this morning. So um, thanks for having me. And... Uh, I guess uh, this morning, I've got um, I guess I've got a bunch of stories that I just want to share. And uh, do you like revival? Can I talk about revival this morning? Awesome. Well, that's what I'm going to do. And uh, you would have noticed in that that video clip that um, you know the whole point of what we're doing is we're releasing kids from poverty in Jesus' name. And uh, you know I just found out this week that. Every single day, on average, we're seeing 400 kids come to know Jesus. Every single day, 400 kids. Isn't that awesome? So at the end, I'm going to sort of give you a bit of an invitation to join in in uh, this revival that is happening around the world and is seeing kids released from poverty in Jesus' name. So uh, anyway, I've got a whole bunch of stories. And I always love uh, to kick off um, by boasting a little bit about God and what He's been doing in my life what it's doing in my family. So I hope you like testimonies because for me, the reason I love testimonies is because it's prophetic. I believe that when I testify, he's going to do it again. And so uh, if you hear something in this, just sort of claim it. (laughs) Say, yeah, do it again, Lord. I I take that. So I'm going to start uh, just this week. Um, I got a message on Facebook and um, a couple of weeks ago, I was ministering up in the country and uh, I prayed for this lady uh, who had cancer and I don't remember this part, but apparently I prophesied and said that in two weeks she would be completely healed. I remember praying for her. I don't remember, I don't remember that bit. Um, anyway, but I got this message saying she's been to the doctor cancer-free, been battling it for years. Come on, praise God, hey? Man. So if anyone here has cancer, claim that for yourself. Jesus' name. Cancer be gone, yeah? All right, uh, another couple... Uh, I have, to, I have to talk about my kids because I love my kids and I love what God is doing with my kids. Uh, my oldest son, Jed, he's five years old and he's, been, he, he's had a, a speech delay, which means that he hasn't been able to understand uh, what, I, what we say very much and he hasn't been able to speak very well. So it's just been, I mean, he's been improving. He's had speech therapy and everything. Um, but a few, uh, probably, I don't know, ha, I don't know, let's just say at the beginning of the year or something, I was getting a bit nervous because I've been praying for him, you know, since before he was born, that he would know God, that he would love God, that he would enjoy God and serve God and, and all this sort of thing. But when I spoke to him, he, he just didn't understand what I was talking about. And uh, so I was just praying away. And, and then I, s- I actually started changing the way I prayed. And I heard a Bill Johnson uh, podcast. And he actually said that for his kids, he prayed this verse, I think it's in Isaiah, that says, God, would you give them a heart to know you? Would you give them a heart to know? So I just start, kept praying for my son, the same way I had been, but I also included, God, would you give him a heart to know you? A little while into praying this way, he, go, he says to me, uh, 
we're having our prayer time, and, and Jed goes, hey, Dad, I, I can't see Jesus. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. And he goes, I want to see Jesus. So I get all excited. I'm like, okay, let's pray. And, you know, so laying on hands, we're speaking in tongues, doing the whole thing, getting him to imagine Jesus. And he opens up his eyes. I'm like, what would you see? Nothing. Oh, okay. Well, we tried again. Nothing. Oh, man. Anyway, so I just kept praying. I didn't give up because I knew that God was doing something. Anyway, a few months ago, Sarah, my wife, and I, were driving in the car on our way to church, and uh, Jed in the back seat pipes up, says, Oh, Mum, Dad, I, I met Jesus last night. Oh, oh, really? What happened? <laughs> and he goes, Hey, I, I was having this dream. And he goes, And I saw Jesus. And, and then he went on to describe this incredible encounter that he had had with God in the, in the middle of the night. Even, he even said some stuff that me and Sarah had been talking about. He, was, he had no idea. But it was just like a personal conversation that me and Sarah were having. And God showed him stuff and, and told him, I think just so that we actually knew that God was actually speaking to him. And so it's crazy. And, and it gets better because not only did he have this sort of uh, encounter, but from then on, his prayer life completely changed. And this is the same that happens to, to Christians and everything. When you have an encounter with God, your prayer life begins to change. And so Jed, who was sort of repeating prayers and praying because I told him to, <laughs> uh, and because that's what we do at bedtime and whenever, um, now he, he just has this friendship with Jesus. And he's having visions all the time. The, the, other, day at, the other day at kindy, so he's still in kindy, the other day at kindy, um, he was playing, I think he was playing soccer. And he kicked the ball away, and it hit someone in the head. And so the kids didn't want him to play anymore. Very sad. So he sat on the rocks, and he was crying. And he said that he started singing. I don't know if you know this Hillsong song. It's a kid's song. It goes, Jesus, you're my superhero. You're my star, my best friend. Do you know that one? And he said Jesus appeared to him, and he invited Jesus to come and live in his heart. And then he described some, I don't know, some crazy way that Jesus came into his head. That's the way he explained it. I was like, wow, how amazing is that? It gets better again. Um, uh, about two weeks ago now, we get his uh, school report or half-year assessment from kindy back. And they have to mark him on like five different areas of his development. One of those areas of development is his identity. And guess what they said about his identity? <laughs> they said that he absolutely loves sharing about Jesus and the church. <laughs> how good's that you know Jed he's five years old whenever we have babysitters we come home and say you know how'd the kids go and they always say like always they always say that Jed was telling them about Jesus and these are people that don't necessarily know the Lord and he's just preaching it you know five years old because he had an encounter because he had an encounter and so you know my heart my prayer my belief is that if we could just have encounters if we could actually meet Jesus. I mean, Jesus said, eternal life is that you may know God. Yeah? You may know him. Not just know him like, I, oh yeah, I know Shane Warne as in he's a celebrity or something like, like I know, like, that you, like I know my wife. That's how he wants you to know him. That's eternal life. If you can know God like that, man, everything changes. Everything changes. So, oh, I'm getting excited. Okay. Um, I want to keep going like on some... Um, stories and all that sort of thing. Um, we're going to get to a bit of a Bible passage that we're going to read. And um, I guess I'm calling this Healing the Blind Beggar. And so I want to sort of tie in some stuff around poverty 
um, around healing and around revival and around kids. Okay, and then hopefully uh, along the line somewhere, we'll be able to stop, have some God encounters, and then at the end, uh, we'll see if there's some people here that want to sponsor some kids and join in a revival that's happening all around the world. Does that sound good? Yeah. All right, let me pray, and then uh, let's, uh, let's get this happening. Daddy God, <laughs> we absolutely love you. We think you are amazing. There is no one like you, not one. And we just thank you that you are a good, good dad. We thank you that you care about us. We thank you that you knit us together in our mother's womb. We thank you that you have a plan and a purpose for us. You have a destiny for us. And Lord God, this morning I pray that, that we would just tap into what you've already uh, predestined for us. That we would just tap into, uh, into the glorious reality of who we are in you. So Jesus, come and speak to us. Lord, would you open up our hearts? Would you encourage us? Uh, give us a bit of a nudge, if we need a bit of a nudge. Uh, just draw us into the place that you want to draw us into. Mm. And Lord, as I share more stories and more testimonies, God, we just say, do it again. Do it again, Lord. Do it again, in Jesus' name. And they all said? Amen. Amen. All right, thank you. All right. Okay, I'm just going to keep going about uh, kids. I want to share some more stories about kids and uh, how they have the capacity uh, to change the world. And uh, I just want to start off, um, I was in uh, India last year, uh, our church, uh, I come from Friends First Church, which is uh, just down here in Berwick, and uh, we go to India every, every year. And um, last year we went to India, and I was preaching in this little village sort of church, and um, when, I, when I do healing, I like to get the kids come, to come down, and they be the healing team. I, I try not to pray for anyone because I prefer to the kids to do it so that everyone can sort of see that anyone can do this. So I got the kids down the front. And Lockie, were you there as well in India? You're not listening. Everyone, this is Lockie. I brought Lockie uh, with me this morning. Just Maybe just give them a bit of a wave. <laughs> just going to wave to me. Yeah. So Lockie's come to help me out today. Anyway, so we're in India in the Sudal Village Church. And I've taught the kids how to heal the sick. And this is how I taught them how to heal the sick. And we just go, you know, Jesus, please heal my friend. Check it out. That's all we do. Lockie's saying, yes, I was there. <laughs> Jesus, please heal my friend. Check it out. That's all we do. And uh, anyway, so I said, okay, now everyone who's sick or injured, put up your hand. I said, kids, go get them. And so the kids went all over. And uh, I, we just stood up the front with the microphone and a translator. And I said, as soon as you've been healed, come up the front and just testify about what's happening. And man, we, for that, the next hour, people were coming up, testifying about how they were healed. One of the very first ones that we heard was this, um, this little kid, I don't think even any older than 10, um, prayed for this lady who had breast cancer. She had a lump in one of her breasts. She had cancer in her breast. And it completely dissolved, completely disappeared. Just this little kid... Jesus, please heal my friend. How good's that? Anyway, so we go to the next, we go to the next church, and I do the same thing, get all the kids up, and I just felt like God wanted to do something a little bit bigger this time round. And so I said, uh, taught the kids again. I said, okay, everyone, put up your hand if you need healing. And almost like every single person in the building put up their hand. And so I thought, I want to make this a little bit more difficult, as if you can do that. And I said, okay. I said, um, just bring down the blind and the deaf. And they brought down this one little old lady. She came to the front. And I said, okay, um, blind or deaf? 
They said, no, both. I'm like, ooh, wow. <laughs> this just got real. And so I said to the kids, okay, kids, just lay hands on her and just pray. And man, as they laid hands on her, you could feel the love of, like the atmosphere completely change. Now, in India, uh, especially where we were, um, they're not very affectionate. They don't actually hug each other very much. They don't touch each other very much. But these kids, they're, are there, they're, they're touching this little old lady who's all on her own. <laughs> they're just touching her. And she's already, be, she's already crying as the love of God begins to touch her. I, I was getting just goosebumps. I'm getting goosebumps now just remembering the story of how, just the, how the atmosphere of heaven came down and she just began to experience love. Uh, got it all in video. She got completely healed of her eyes and her ears. Completely healed. Because kids, uh, I mean, it, it, kids know how to love, don't they? they? They haven't been taught all these things that sort of prevent them from caring, uh, prevent them from loving someone. And um, I, I guess I wanna, the reason I'm sort of going down this blind thing and I want to stay on the blind thing is because I believe that God actually wants to heal some eyes today, like in the physical, uh, physical eyes. I believe he wants to do that. I've been getting a bunch of prophetic things about that. But then also, um, he's also talking about how um, he, he actually wants us to be able to see. He actually wants us to be able to see the need. He actually wants us to be able to see people for how they are. And thirdly, he actually wants us to be able to see us for who we are. And so I really feel like um, there's this thing on seeing this morning, okay? So one more story. Actually, I'm just going to keep going with stories. But first time, first time I ever saw uh, someone get healed of blindness. It's a bit of a story, but it's good. And so um, I was in Mozambique with Daniel Nixon. Yeah. So we were there, and like, I think like everyone who goes to Mozambique, to Heidi and Roland, you go and you just want to get to the villages so that you can see miracles. Has anyone else been to Mozambique here? Got a few people. Did you go because you wanted to see miracles? Is that part of it? No. Oh, I did. Anyway, I'll, I'll completely own that. I totally wanted to see the craziest miracles um, ever and all that. So I got really excited about going out on our village outreach and all that sort of thing. And so we go on this village outreach and we find this little old blind lady. And so we're all praying for her. And I see off to the side my wife uh, and my son. And, um, and I thought, well, she's not healed yet, but I'll, I'll run over there. I'll take care of my son so that my wife can be uh, involved, you know, involved in this miracle that's about to happen. Anyway, so I go grab my son and I sit down in the dirt. And as I sit down, God says to me, James, uh, do you even care about this lady or do you just want to see a miracle? <laughs> I was like, oh, man. And I said, actually, I, I just want to see the miracle. Uh, being completely honest, I, I hadn't actually stopped to think about this lady. I hadn't stopped to think about how her world was impacted by her blindness. It, it actually didn't even, <laughs> you know, I, I mean, I, generally I'm a pretty loving sort of guy, but this time I was just caught up in, in everything that was going on. And, you know, the sad thing was she didn't actually get healed that day. And uh, I went away sort of devastated because God had sort of revealed something in my heart that wasn't quite right uh, I wasn't, you know, it, anyway, but he, you know, he's just so gentle, but it still pierces right to the core, and that's what he did to me. Anyway, so for the next, um, probably for the next month or so, uh, I just got wrecked in God's love. 
I just said, God, if that's what it's all about, I, I, I need a bit more love. And he's still doing it today. Uh, at, the end of the, at the end of our 10 weeks in Mozambique, we spent a few weeks in Zimbabwe. And uh, we're going through a little village. And uh, again, we come across a blind lady, completely blind. And, and this time, I stopped. <laughs> I stopped and I looked at her. And I saw her. I saw a grandmother who had never seen her grandkids. She was a shop owner. She had this tiny little box and she had some lollies on top. And I thought, there's kids everywhere here. She's blind and owns a lolly shop. I bet you half her stock gets stolen. <laughs> Don't you think? And I'm like, man, so how was she doing this? She couldn't get around anywhere. She had to be led around by people. And my heart just began to break for her. I began to experience the love of God that he had for her. And so we laid hands on her. And this time my prayer was, God, would you just love her eyesight back? Just love her eyesight back. And I saw as she began to, cr- as she began to cry, and I guess the cataracts or whatever was on her eyes, this grey stuff, just completely came off. And she began looking, saying blue, white, green. She was seeing colours. And, uh, I mean, we, we were doing heaps of ministry that day, went somewhere else, came back. And as I came back and saw her, I saw her scoot. She was sitting down scoop up her grandson, put him on, on her lap, stared him in the eyes for the first time ever and said, ah, my grandson. Oh, man, I was wrecked. I was completely wrecked. I couldn't, I couldn't. I, and, and do you know what? It wasn't the fact that it was a cool miracle. It wasn't the fact that it was just a blind lady getting completely healed in a couple of seconds. It was actually the love of God that stood out to me. It's the love of God. And, you know, we're in our church at Friends First, like we, um, and even in India, wherever we go and stuff, like we, we just believe that love is the thing that, that heals people. You know, I, in, in a lot of cases, I've actually stopped, in, I've stopped praying for people to be healed and I just hug them and their ears will pop open or their ankle will be healed because it's love. It's just love, just love. It's actually really that simple. It's love. But this morning, I just felt like God may be asking me and probably asking you guys as well, but I felt like him asking the same question, which was, do you care about these people or do you just want to see a cool miracle? Do you care about these people? Do you just want to see revival? Do you care about these people? Do you just want to see your church grow? Do you care about these people? Or, you know, do you just want to see the nation transformed? Like, is it separated from this deep love for people? And I just felt like God calling us into a place where we, we love deeply, where we love deeply, where we, where we not only, i got to be careful how I say this, but with like the whole homosexual sort of thing going on in the news at the moment. Like, are we just saying what we believe because it's the Bible, because it's true? Or are we saying what we're saying because we just love deeply? And we want people to live in wholeness and freedom? Uh, like, what, what is actually motivating the things that we're saying? What is motivating the way that we're living? Is it love or something else? Because God just wants it to be love. He just wants it to be love. Love, 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 love. <laughs> so, okay, let's get into the Word. Um, if you're with me, you can open up to Mark chapter 10. We're going to start at verse 46. So Mark 10, 46. All right. 
Mark 10.46. Okay. So what I want to do now is just share a couple more, I guess, revival stories. And then, uh, like I said, invite us into it all. So Luke 10.46. Oh, did I say Luke before? Mark. Mark. Mark 10.46. All right, are you ready? How about everyone else? You ready? Okay, here we go. Mark 10.46. Then they came to Jericho. And as Jesus and his disciples together with a large crowd were leaving the city, a blind man named Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. He's a blind beggar named Timaeus or son of Timaeus. Timaeus means uh, highly prized or honoured. So let's just call him treasure. He's a treasure. He's God's treasure. Sitting on the side of the road begging, blind. Okay, he can't see, which in those days, if you can't see, you did something wrong. And or someone sinned to cause your, your blindness. And so normally they'd kick you out outside of the city and you would have to live outside the city. And so here he is outside of the city begging because he's not allowed near people because he's blind. But he's a treasure of God. Verse 47, when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. But everyone rebuked him and told him to be quiet. But he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And so they called to the, so Jesus stopped and said, call him. I'm just going to stop there. Jesus stopped. This is my first point. So we've got to stop. We've got to stop for the one. Um, has anyone ever heard of, you've, has anyone heard how the Salvation Army started up? Have you ever heard of how the Salvation Army started up? I spent all my life with Salvation Army. I was a pastor in the Salvation Army. My parents were missionaries in the Salvation Army. My grandparents were, were pastors in the Salvation Army. But how the Salvation Army started up, it was actually out the front of a pub called the Blind Beggar. Did you know that? Called the Blind Beggar Pub. Uh, there's now a statue nearby because that's where William Booth, the guy who started it with his wife Catherine, he started preaching uh, to people who were alcoholics. And when you look around at, how, um, at what was happening in the world at that time, um, alcohol was a huge problem. Um, underage prostitution was a huge problem. Um, people were poor. They could hardly, they could hardly buy any. You know, it was, it was awful. It was a bad place to live. And so here he was. And, oh, sorry, let me keep going. And the church didn't stop for them. The, the church actually made things worse. Because what the church was doing at that time in England, if you wanted to come to church, you had to pay to sit in the good seats. <laughs> you had to pay to go to church. You, you actually had to, you know, and, and if you look around and, I mean, it was awful. And so here's uh, William Booth. He wanted to get out of the church so that he could actually go and find people. He, he, you know, leave the 99 so you can go find the one lost sheep. That's what he wanted to do. So he wanted to stop for the ones that were just drifting, drifting away from him. So uh, he started preaching, um, and an incredible revival broke out. And William Booth, at the time, a lot of historians actually say that up until that point of time in church history, he was probably the guy that had led the most amount of people to Jesus than anyone ever before him, because just the amount of people that he was able to get the message out to. And, you know, it wasn't just the big crowds for him. It was in his daily life. They said he couldn't catch a... I say taxi, but I think it was more like a horse-drawn 
cab or something. Anyway, but he couldn't, he couldn't even catch a ride without stopping for the one, stopping for the bus driver or whoever it was and asking them if they knew God. He, he, he was just consumed by this passion for the lost and that people would come to know him. And so he stopped for the one. But, you know, this thing, it wasn't just about people coming to know God. It was actually about seeing the kingdom of God come to earth as well. And so there was these factories, and uh, the way that they made matches in those days, they used this thing called yellow phosphorus. And uh, on the matchsticks, uh, they had, I was going to say slaves, but they, they weren't slaves, they were just poor people working for minimum wage. And they had to put the yellow phosphorus on the stick and put it in the matchbox, okay? But the only problem with this yellow phosphorus is that it was poisonous. And so these people who didn't have time to eat or drink or take a break or anything like that, they would be uh, working with their hands and then they'd eat their food, their sandwich or whatever that they brought. And uh, these guys began to develop what was called as fossy jaw, jaw, which really meant that their jaw would erode. It would just disappear and it would glow. So in the dark, you would ha- your jaw would be glowing in the dark. Crazy, hey? And so the Salvation Army... This revivalist sort of movement thought, that's not good enough. We've got to do something about this. And so, you know how we've got red matches now, the red tips on the top? Do you know who came up with that? The Salvation Army. They developed them and they made a business and all that sort of thing and they gave their workers fair wages in in um, in a workplace where they now wouldn't get sick. And then the whole world adopted what they did. Isn't that incredible? That's the kingdom coming. That's the kingdom coming. And so it all started with one man who decided to stop. He decided to stop for the one. How easy is it for us to not stop? (laughs) How easy is it for us to get caught up in what we're we're doing that we don't actually see the people in front of us? Uh, I absolutely love street ministry. I've been doing it for over 10 years now. I've seen tons of miracles and tons of people come to know the Lord. And what I have found is that I actually find it easier to do street ministry than to share the gospel with people in my own life. And, you know, a lot of people won't say that because it's, it's more glamorous to get a, a video camera and show the awesome miracles as they happen. I absolutely love that. I'm, don't hear me. <laughs> I'm not against that at all, but I absolutely love that. But do you know how the world's going to get changed? It's going to get changed when we stop for the one in our family. It's going to stop when we stop for the one... Uh, at our school, at our place of employment, to our neighbours. The world's going to change when we can't actually get out of it, when if we mess up or if we, you know, if people see us for who we really are, we can just sort of move along. We can't do that. The world's going to change when when we start taking the gospel wherever we are, where the gospel and sharing the gospel is not just something we do, like on a Friday night. Again, not against it. I love it. <laughs> but it, when it's a lifestyle, when it's an everyday thing, where we're stopping for the one, where we're not so caught up in ourselves that we actually have the ability to stop, look someone in the eyes, and love them. Because, I mean, like I said, we've loved people and their ears have opened up. And the blind are seen because we love someone. What, what would it look like for you to stop? What would it look like for you to stop in your own life, just to stop and see the people that are in your life right now? What would it look like? Let's keep going, hey? All right. 
So Jesus stopped and called him, and, and so they called to the blind man, Cheer up, on your feet, he's calling you. Throwing off his cloak to the side, he jumped up to his feet and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you, Jesus asked him. And the blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Um, so in my job at Compassion, um, I get to meet a whole bunch of uh, people who used to be Compassion kids. Uh, these are guys that have grown up, uh, they've graduated the project, uh, the program and everything that we're doing, and now um, they're getting on with their life. <clears throat> and I get to hear some of the most amazing stories that you can imagine. At the moment, we have lawyers, we have politicians, we have doctors, uh, we have revivalists <laughs> um, who have come through our projects um, and who have sort of come up through it. And no matter who it is that I'm talking to, when I talk to them about uh, what made the big difference in their life, almost without a shadow of a doubt, they say, the food was great. I mean, we were hungry. The food was great. And they'll say, uh, the fact that I got education completely changed my life. They say, but the thing that made the biggest impact on me is that someone believed in me. Because what we do in Compassion, we really encourage letter writing. And all these people that I, that I speak to and get to hear from, it was the letters that actually changed their life. And the reason is because when you're stuck in poverty, you have no options. You have no options. And so you begin to think that this is all, this is all that God has for me. You begin to think that I am dirt. <laughs> that you begin to think that there is no way out of this. You begin to think I'm destined for, for slave labor. You know, uh, we saw a video not long ago um, in our office about they were interviewing these kids living in poverty. And they said, what do, you, what do you want to be when you grew up? And, and this girl... I think it was in India, she said that she wanted to break bricks like her mum and dad in the quarries. Wanted to break bricks. That, that's her life. I want to break bricks like mum and dad. Because when you're in poverty, you don't have access to education, so you can't actually b pull yourself up. And it tells you that you suck. It tells you that you're worthless and that you don't, de you don't deserve anything. And so when we're writing letters and everything... It's, it's actually us beginning to prophesy and speak words of life into them. Words of life that they've never actually had before. And so here, the man in our story in Mark, he's saying, I want to see. I want to see. And all these kids living in poverty, the people in your world as well, they want to see. They want to see who they really are. I find it interesting in this story here, the man, he takes off his cloak. I think it's like a bit of a prophetic symbol that he takes off his jacket. It's like he's leaving the old him behind. And he's standing up saying, I want to see. I want to see how God actually sees me. <laughs> I wa I, he wanted to see with his eyes for sure. But I also believe that when you're stuck in poverty, you need a mind change. You need a mind change. And that's where we can really do a lot to help people when they need a mind change. And so, this, and so this, one of these guys that I've met, his name's Richmond. Richmond, um, his mind change was completely drastic. Uh, Richmond is from Uganda. And... Uh, Half his family, uh, I don't want to go into numbers because I'll get the numbers wrong, but he had all these friends and relatives that were getting killed. He was uh, beginning to do drugs, sell drugs. He was in a life of crime, all that sort of thing. And he actually didn't believe that he had any other way out of his situation other than this way, the life of crime. And then a 17-year-old girl started writing him letters <laughs> and started telling him that he was loved started telling him that he was valuable, started telling him that God had a purpose for his life. He went on and he got a, I think he got a master's in accounting 
and all that sort of thing. He, he says that, that what changed it for him, what changed his whole entire life around, was that someone saw a different him than what he could see. Someone saw blind Bartimaeus, Bartimaeus, this treasured possession, who was sitting on the side of the road begging, couldn't see who he was, couldn't see a way out of the life that he was in. 17-year-old girl started writing him letters, started sharing the love of God with him, and it completely changed his life. And so Richmond dropped off his cape, his, his cloak of crime <laughs> and all that. He went into accounting, and now he's actually a pastor, and he actually trains pastors in Eastern Africa. He's trained over 4,000 pastors in Eastern Africa. You can clap. Yeah, praise God. Uh, another, another girl that I met at the beginning of the year, she's from the Philippines. Um, her name's Crystal. For Crystal, um, she grew up, uh, again, working, working all the time. Uh, she couldn't go to school because her mum and dad needed her uh, to bring in some income. They needed her so that they could buy food. And so she would get up at 3 o'clock in the morning so that they could prepare uh, the things that they sold for people to eat. And then they'd take it to the market, make sure that they're there by 5 o'clock so that as people are going to work, they could come by and, and buy something. And then she'd be there all day long. So this kid was working all, her, all this time for her mum and dad just so that they could scrape by. Uh, when she entered the Compassion Project, um, the family was helped with their physical needs. Uh, the family was helped that she could now go to school. Uh, they helped her because they started sharing the gospel with her. You know, but one of the things that Crystal shares in her testimony is that when she was a child, she was never allowed to have joy. She was never allowed to enjoy herself. She was never given freedom to play. Just a little girl was not allowed to play because she had to work. But she was able to drop that off. <laughs> and she was able to go to the Compassion Project. And she was able to start playing. She was actually able to have a child, a childhood. Because someone decided to pay $48 a month so, and write some letters to her. And her whole world has been changed. With Crystal, she actually put through her whole entire family, all her brothers and sisters, uh, through university. She paid for them. Because God, because God has blessed her. She's been able to get such a good education that she's been able to bless her family right back. It's amazing, isn't it? I want to bring it back home a little bit, though. What are the things that you can't see in your life? How are you blinded? You know, we often, we often can sort of, I guess, look at these people in other parts of the world and sort of think they've just, it, it's just like so far removed from us. But some of the, the things are exactly the same, like the way we look at ourselves. And, and I really believe that you are like Timaeus, like Bartimaeus, who was a treasure, who was sitting on the side of the road begging. And as we were just worshipping, I just had this picture that maybe there's some people here this morning who are a little bit like blind Bartimaeus. You're blind, sitting on the road begging. Maybe you're blind to how God has created you. Maybe you don't actually really understand how God has made you. You don't understand that when you get born again, uh, the old is gone, <laughs> completely gone and cut off, dead and buried, and the new has come. I think a lot of times we, we think that God just renovates us. We think that God, you know, he, he just sort of patches us up 
and puts a couple of band-aids on us and maybe files us here and does a bit of this here and, you know, paints us up and makes us look a little bit nicer. But the, the scripture is completely clear. The old is gone. Completely gone and the new has come. And <laughs> thank you, Lockie. And <laughs> but, but I really believe that there's people here today that maybe you're holding on to some labels, some labels uh, about how you define yourself. Maybe you think, I'm too slow, I'm too old, I'm not pretty enough, I'm, I'm ugly. Maybe some people think that. Maybe you think, you know, my time has, is past, it's used by date. Maybe you think I'm too insignificant. Uh, maybe, maybe you think there's just no way out of the hell that you are trapped in right now. Maybe you just can't see hope for what you're doing right now. Maybe you're like blind Bartimaeus, that you've been begging God. You've been begging God to help you. Mate, what's that prayer that you've been praying that you just keep coming back to and you just feel like he's not answering that? What is it? And don't tell me that, it's, that you don't have one. <laughs> don't tell me that you don't have one because, I mean, I've had these. That you, we've got prayers and we have to be honest and open enough to actually, to actually get to say to God, God, I'm actually a bit disappointed right now. I don't understand what's going on. And God, I will trust you and I will follow you all the days of my life. But God, I need you. We just need to get real with each other. We need to get real with God. You know, the other night at, at our home group, going back a few weeks, um, we just did the same thing. And we just sort of said to each other, Let, let's just get real with each other. You know, we, we can get together and pretend that everything's going well. But a lot of the time there's stuff going on deep down inside of us that we're just sort of glossing over. And then when we come to church, sometimes it means that we, we just sort of try and pump ourselves up to try and get into the mode. But that's actually not how it's supposed to be. You don't actually have to fire yourself up. Because when the Holy Spirit comes inside of you, He lives inside of you, the, the Scripture says you are one in the Spirit with God. You are one with Him. You are invited into the life of the, very, of the Trinity. You're invited into that. That's what you were born for. You were created for glory. That is, that's how you're supposed to be. But so often we don't live in that glory because we've got other stuff going on and we try to pull it down sometimes like we try to as if it's out there when really it's right it's actually right he's already in, inside of you he's already inside of you and so it just changes and it actually becomes now not about trying to go after something that we don't already have it actually becomes a process of becoming aware of who lives inside of you it's actually this process of becoming aware to that the that the creator of the universe lives inside of you it's becoming aware that nothing is impossible because, you know, because God lives inside of you. Nothing is impossible at all. All the miracles that you see and read about in the Bible, Jesus said, you can do greater things because I'm in you and you're in me. You can, do any, you can do all that and more. So God is already inside of you. You don't need to call him down. It's not like he's way up there waiting for you to come to him. He's already inside of you. If you're a born-again believer, of course. We'll get to that in a moment. <laughs> But God lives inside of you, and he wants you to be able to connect with him. And so, so often, what's actually preventing us from seeing that is that we've got, we've got lenses over our eyes. And the lenses over our eyes, it, we all have lenses, and they're created by the way that we have experienced life, how we have responded to things that have happened in our life. And so, when, let's just say, for me, when I was, um, when I was growing up, I went to, like at least half a dozen different schools uh, because my parents were missionaries. I was always going from school to school to school. And so I actually found it really hard to make friends because when I was, because um, I'd get to a school and they'd already be friends for two, three years 
and it was really hard to break into their into their friendship groups and, and also it was really hard for me because I was different I was from a different country I, I looked different I spoke different <laughs> all that sort of thing it was really hard for me and so I actually began to believe some stuff about me that wasn't true I actually began to believe some stuff about me that it was actually that that's just how it was that you know it, it's it's rare when you get a really good friend. I, I believed that I, I, I didn't deserve a good friend. I believed that I, I began to believe that I was worthless. So much so that by the time I was in high school, um, I, I, had the, I was just consumed by these dark thoughts about how bad I was, about how ugly I was, about how no one would even care if I went missing. I, I, actually, wrote, I actually wrote a suicide letter and kept it in my top drawer just in case one day it got too much for me. And I did something like that. My bet today, I'm not a betting man, but if I was, I would definitely bet that there's people here who have written those sort of letters before. I would, at a guess, say that maybe there's some people here who have stared in the mirror with tears rolling down your face and wondered if anyone would even care if you were gone. But the good news is that God wants to open your eyes he wants to open your eyes to see how valuable you are to him. He wants to open your eyes so that you can see that you are a treasured possession. That even though you may feel like blind Bartimaeus begging on the street, unable to see a way out of your world, Jesus stops for you. <laughs> and he calls you up. And he wants you to leave the, ba the past behind and move on into the future. Jesus, uh, he said it really clearly that the devil comes to steal, kill and destroy. But he has come to bring life in all its fullness. And poverty is straight from the pits of hell. Poverty is demonic and it consumes kids and families. And it's just not right. It's just not right. I want to finish off with... How am I going for time? Okay, I've got to wrap this up. So let me finish with... I just want to share, share the story of how Compassion started up. Then I want to move into some ministry time. But uh, in the 1950s, while, uh, South, while South Korea was in war and everything, it was one of the poorest nations on the world, absolutely ravished by war. And uh, a, a preacher from Chicago named Everett Swanson uh, went over there to be an evangelist. He went on a trip. Uh, he was invited to go and preach to the troops uh, over in uh, South Korea. And so he went over there. And one day, as he was ministering, um, this kid nicked his, uh, his jacket. <laughs> and so being from Chicago, uh, Everett Swanson chased after him. And, uh, and the kid was like ducking and weaving and going all, you know, all over the place. And Everett Swanson kept chasing him. Eventually, he stopped. He, he lost track of the kid. And he looked down. And in the doorway of this little shack, this little sort of shanty home, he saw his jacket. It was on a pile of rags and so he thought the kid I scared the kid he's dropped it he's run he picked it up and as he picked it up he saw this little kid uh, malnourished skinny as a bone <laughs> teeth chattering hardly any clothes on and his heart began to break straight away as he was looking at this kid he saw the other rags begin to to ruffle and a whole bunch of other kids popped their heads up in the same state. He, he was overcome by grief. These kids, uh, their parents had been killed in the war. They had no one to look after them. 
And this kid was just trying to find a way to keep warm. And so Everett Swanson, he went to the closest restaurant, got a big pot of soup. He took it over to them and fed these kids. He stopped for the one. <laughs> he, he took this soup over to them and he fed them. And he, later on that night, he went back to his hotel, went to bed, but he couldn't sleep. He tossed and turned all night long. He thought, I've got to do more. I've got to do more. And, he got, and he, so before it was daylight, he ran, he ran to see these kids. It was a really cold night. He ran to see these kids. And what he saw, he, he said that he would never forget. And what he saw was that there was these soldiers that would come before dawn, before daybreak. And they would look at all the kids. And they would give them a little bit of a shake to see who was still breathing. And all the kids that weren't breathing anymore, they would pick up and throw in the back of a truck to be whisked off. This was what it was like every single night, that kids didn't have enough food, they couldn't keep warm, and so kids were dying every single night, and this is what they would do. They would pick them up and chuck them in the truck. And as Everett Swanson saw what they were doing in this little home that, that he, he went back to see this, these kids that he'd fed the night before, he looked around and saw that it wasn't just this home. There were homes all over the place. All these homes were filled with orphans. These kids who couldn't keep warm, who couldn't, who couldn't make any money, who was starving and freezing to death. He had to go home to Chicago. And so on the, on the, on the way home, he's, he's there and he's praying and he just felt God saying, what will you do? What will you do? What will you do? What will you do? And it just became like this thundering thing in his ear and it never left him. It never once left him. So he went home and he went to one of his closest friends and just explained what he had seen. And this man that he saw said to him, I, I've had a, I had a dream. And he goes, I knew this day was coming. And he said, I knew that God was going um, to give me someone who was going to start a ministry for widows and orphans and that I was to give you some money. And so, you know, I don't know how, I think it was 1952, this guy gave him $1,000 and just said, that's, that's just the beginning. And so that's how Compassion was born. And so Compassion then, uh, they began to have orphanages, they began to care for the kids. Um, it's always operated within the context of church. There's always been a, a combination of the gospel and actually helping people in practical ways. Um, it was actually part of an incredible revival in South Korea. South Korea... Uh, what are we now, 50, 60, like 60, 70 years ago, was one of the poorest nations on the planet. Since then, South Korea has had revival. I don't know if you've seen it. They've had revival, and in one generation, they've gone from one of the poorest nations in the world to one of the richest nations in the world. In compassion terms, they went from a, a country where everyone was sowing money into, and now, that, now they don't receive any money. Now South Korea is a giving nation, just like Australia. And so now South Koreans, these kids, these kids who were raised uh, in the streets, these kids who had absolutely nothing before someone started paying just a little bit of money every month and writing some letters to them, these kids are now sponsoring other kids. They're changing the world. South Korea is just a picture of what God wants to do with every single nation on the face of the planet. He wants to take it from poverty and darkness and turn it into the kingdom of light. He wants to turn it into something special. And that's what we're all invited into today. So just a couple of... Um, today, we've got 50 kids that are out here on the table. 50 kids. Um, I've got one here. Uh, this guy's name is Friendly. <laughs> uh, he lives in Indonesia. He loves art and drawing. 
loves music and reading, and he already loves Sunday school, <laughs> which is great. But this guy, he's been waiting more than 270 days for someone to sponsor him. Um, we've got kids from Indonesia, Thailand, and, and the Philippines. So we've got a bit of an Asia focus here. And, and in Asia, uh, you probably already know that most of the major world religions have come from there. Um, there's 26 of the 50 top persecuted nations that are in Asia. Um, 60% of the world's population is from Asia. There's uh, 2,000 languages, uh, sorry, over 2,000 languages, 7,000 people groups of which 5,000 are, are unreached. And so what we're doing uh, today, you've got the opportunity to start partnering with Revival in Asia. You've got the opportunity this morning to be one of those sponsors that writes to these kids and speaks life into them. Uh, you've got the opportunity today to start discipling the nations. <laughs> you've got the opportunity this morning to, you know, we've got 400 kids every single day getting saved in a compassion program. 400 today, 400 yesterday, 400 tomorrow, and it'll just keep going. And it'll probably begin to increase as well as more and more people begin to, begin to sponsor. We've got, we've got awesome plans in Asia. We've got awesome plans in Asia for church planting. We've got all, and uh, you know, all the statistics show um, that the, the, the biggest time when kids actually get, uh, when people get saved is when they're a kid, when they're a child. And so, and then the other statistic that also is there that says that church planting is the most effective way to see people come to know Jesus. And so we're combining the two. We're combining uh, churches that are focused on kids so that we can just see a massive harvest in these nations. And the whole idea about it is that we're not just throwing money at them so that they can get out of poverty. We're actually throwing, we're throwing money and love and we're speaking words of life and destiny at them so that these kids can grow up and change their world. Uh, one of the guys that I've met, his name's Paul. He, he's doing the exact same thing. He came from this awful slum in Kenya. Uh, he saw one of his friends, they put a, a tire around his neck and blew his, his neck and burnt his head off. One of his mates. These days, Paul is there in the slums helping kids, doing similar things to Compassion. He still works for Compassion as well. But he's done his own thing. He's, all these different ministries are being sparked because someone like you just decided to partner with us. So Compassion, just really quickly, we're church-based. Everything we do is run through the church. The church is our mission partner. Uh, second, we're child-focused. Everything we do is about kids and raising them up into adulthood and, and uh, seeing them mature in their discipleship. And then the third thing is that it's Christ-centered. Every single program will share the gospel with these kids. And that's why we're seeing tons of kids come to know Jesus every single day. So... I guess that's a little bit about the compassion thing. So I'm just wondering, if maybe can we just stand? I know we're coming to an end now. And I believe that God wants to get a bit of stuff done now. I'm just wondering if you can do me a favor this morning. And I want us to pray. I, I, I want us to have a little bit of time um, for ministry uh, with one another. I bet before we do that, I'm just wondering if we can just spend maybe one minute just praying for these kids living in poverty. Like I said, we've got 50 kids out there in the foyer, like friendly. <laughs> I'm just wondering if we can maybe just pray that they get sponsored. 
if they get sponsored here, praise God. If they get sponsored somewhere else, I praise God as well. It doesn't really matter to me. But let's just pray for these kids, for kids living in poverty who have no idea who they are. They're like blind Bartimaeus. You know, this, this last verse, I never got around to it. It says, Go, said Jesus, your faith has healed, healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. Let's just pray for, just for one minute for these kids. Can you do that with me? Can we pray out loud? Do you like praying out loud here? Are you a pray out loud sort of church? Okay, let's pray out loud. Let's go. So Jesus, we just thank you that you love these kids. And we thank you, Jesus, that you see them. We thank you, Jesus, that you stop for them. We thank you, Jesus, that you have called them your precious, um, your precious children. They are treasured possessions, Lord God. And Lord Jesus, it is our heart that they know that. It's their heart that their eyes would be open to see that they are, there is hope, to see that there is a future, to see, Lord God, that they are more than conquerors, that they can do anything, to see that they can change the world that they live in, to see that they can put their family through university, to see that they can lead their family and their nation to Jesus. Lord God, we, we just thank you for what you're doing, God. We thank you for what you're doing. We thank you for the revival. We thank you for 400 kids every single day. And Lord God, we just pray that that would increase. And God, we want to partner with you. Lord God, would you just touch people's hearts this morning? Would you just let us know if, that's, if you want us to partner with this, God? Just place it on our hearts right now, God. Place it on our hearts. Okay. Thank you, guys. I'm going to be out the out the uh, out in the foyer afterwards. You can come and talk to me. Do we just have a couple more minutes, Chelsea? Just to, yep, awesome. Okay, I I just don't want to stop just yet. Um, I told you before. Um, I believe that God wanted to heal eyesight. Um, and I, I really believe that. Um, I had a sty the other day when I started praying and believing for the for this, and I didn't really think too much of it, and it sort of went away like overnight. Um, but then uh, this morning, as as we we're worshiping, my left eye was just trembling. It's just weird. And so for me, I'm like, well, that's that's strange, um, especially since I'm preaching on you know the blind beggar. And so uh, I w- I just want to demonstrate what God wants to do. Um, so is there anyone here? with eyesight problems, eye problems that would love some healing today? Is there just some people that maybe just want to raise your hands? All right, keep your hand raised. And this is what I want to show you. It's super, super simple. I'm, I'm actually not going to, I don't actually want you to pray for one another this morning. What I want you to do, find someone with their hand raised and give them a hug. Give them a hug and just say, Jesus, love this person. Just love them. Speak life into them. Speak some destiny into them. Tell them how much God loves them. Just love on them and just see what happens. Okay. Awesome. All right, check it out. 
Check out your eyes. Is there something you could see or couldn't see before? Check it out. And can you just give me a wave if you feel like God has done something right now? If you've been healed. Be hard to see. All right, so Jesus, we thank you that you want to you open the eyes of the blind. We thank you that you want to heal the blind. And Jesus, right now, I just speak over every single eye that is not in kingdom order right now. And I just say, in Jesus' name, eyes be open, eyes see, kingdom order come, in Jesus' name. Lord, would you just come and love these people's eyes back to health? Just pour out your love, God. Pour out your love. Just as what God is doing in the natural, touching people's eyesight, He wants to do in your spirit as well. Just as I was saying, blind Bartimaeus couldn't see any hope or future. He wants to, he wants to give that to you today as well. He wants you to become aware of who He is. You know, the word says, call upon the name of the Lord and you will be saved. Jesus is inviting you into a friendship with him. He's inviting you into just this, into life. That's what he has for you. And he wants you to have life in all its fullness. This morning, if, if you feel like you're not living in that life in all its fullness, I'd love to pray for you. I'd love to pray for you. Can I just, maybe just, just by a show of hands, I'm not going to ask you to come down the front or anything. But if you feel like you're not living in life in all its fullness, you feel like you've had some blind spots. You haven't been able to see the hope that God has for you. You haven't been able to see the way out. Can you just maybe just give me a little bit of a wave? Thank you. Just so I can pray for you. Awesome. Thank you. Let me pray for you. Lord God, I thank you that you love us. And I thank you, Lord God, that you want to open up our eyes to the things unseen. I thank you, Lord God, that you want to open up our eyes. The word says that we have been veiled from the seeing the gospel, the light and glory of Christ. So right now we just, we just pull off those veils of people's eyes. We just pull them off right now so that they can see the light and glory of you. So Lord, right now, would you just come and baptize us all in your love? Pour out your love, Lord God. Pour out your love. Pour out your love. Thank you, God, that you stopped for the one and you're stopping for us right now. You're ministering to us. Thank you, God. Thanks for listening to another message from Fire Church Ministries. For more messages like this one or for other information, check out our website at firechurch.com.au.